Thank you, worship team. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And I don't have a title, but um, sure Lenny will come up with one. Acts 2, 42 to 47. You got it? It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Okay? And it reads like this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Man, turn around and give somebody a high five and tell them, you know what, you're my family. Go ahead and have a seat. Why, some of you like to slap hard. Whoa. <laughs> I'm hearing some hard old slaps. <laughs> no patty caking in this church. <laughs> Amen. The neighborhood bar is probably the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship that Christ designed for the church. It's an imitation. The bar passes out liquor instead of God's grace. Passes out escape rather than reality. You ever been there? The people who are at the bar are very accepting of you. And they pretty much are unshockable. You could tell them anything when you're in the bar. And they're like, oh, really? I got one more better than that one. And you always try to top each other's story. When you're in a bar, I've never been in a bar, but I've watched movies, and I know that when they're in a, bar, in a bar, you can tell people your secrets, your deep, dark secrets. And pretty much they don't even tell anybody because they really don't even care. Bars multiply, not because people are alcoholics, but bars multiply because there's something inside of us that wants to connect with people. There's something inside of us that has a desire to be known and to be loved. And that's why people go, just for a place to feel a part. When we don't find that love, when we don't find that connection, that's when we wind up going for the counterfeit. That counterfeit could be a beer. That counterfeit could be a drug. That counterfeit could be just a one-night stand. But it's still a counterfeit. Paul Tournier, he is a psychiatrist, theologian. And he said this. He said, there are two things that one cannot do alone. You cannot be married alone, and you cannot be a Christian 
alone. Those are the only two things you can't do alone. Everything else you can do alone, but you can't do those two things. You can't be married by yourself. And you can't be a Christian by yourself. But most of us try to do so much alone. We carry burdens we weren't intended to carry. And that's why we're pushing so hard for journey groups. Because journey groups will allow you to connect and become a part of a a group of people who will care. There's something wrong with the church, not just this church, but the church as a whole. See, because sometimes I look at churches and I see that it can be a place where you come and you put on your best on Sunday morning and you put on your makeup and you put on your cologne. You know, I can walk down the aisle and I get all kinds of smells. And you all have put on your best your best suit, your best dress, your best shoes. You you know, you put on your best and you come to church and you sit in the sanctuary and you worship and you have a cup of coffee or cookies after, you go to lunch. But the problem is, is that you never bring your life into this sanctuary. You've left your life at home. You've left your life in the car. All your pain, all your brokenness, all your hopes, even all your joys, you've left them outside because now you're just operating. Raise my hands, sit down, do whatever, and you're just operating. And I think almost in any church, there are people who who really want to say, can I be real here? Can I be honest? What does it mean to be to belong to Jesus Christ? What does it mean to belong to this church family? I think that God asks us a couple of questions. When we try to get close to him, he asks us, will you trust me with your life? Will you trust him with your life? Because he he asked that question of a lot of people. He asked that question of Abram when we first started studying in Genesis. He asked him, will you leave your familiar place? Will you leave your family and will you pack up and go where I tell you to go? Well, where am I going? I'm not going to tell you. Just will you do it? Will you trust me enough? Then are you going to trust God enough to be a part of this family? See, we all got trust issues, major trust issues. We've all been hurt. Anybody here never been hurt? Good, I'm talking to the right group. We've all been hurt. We've all said things and done things. You've done them to somebody else and somebody else has done them to you. We've all been hurt. We've all said things about each other that we shouldn't have said. Hurts that we've accumulated in our life that we shouldn't have allowed. But God asks, are you going to trust him enough to be a part of this family? It's not easy opening up to people with our stuff because we got some major stuff going on in our life. Major stuff. And we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want anybody else to hurt us again. We've already been hurt enough. We've been hurt behind the gossip. We've been hurt because people have let us down. But I can tell you this. When God brings people into your life, the only way that you're going to grow is to allow yourself to love. The only way you're going to grow is to be vulnerable enough to let people in. 
There's so many times we don't want to let anybody in. We just want to just keep everybody out here. Because the closer we let them in, the more they might hurt us. But the more you hurt, the more you become a part of a family. Now, I, I don't know about you. I'm the oldest of nine children. And my brothers and sisters, we hurt each other all the time. All the time. This past Friday, my sister called me and she says, Mom called and she's asking me for $40. I don't have $40. You have $40? And I said, I'm all the way up here. Mom's in L.A. I'm going to call somebody else, you know, one of my other brothers, to just go down there and drive and give her $40. So then I call one of my brothers and I said, Mom needs $40. Go down there and give her $40, please. And he's going, I just talked to her. Ten minutes ago, she didn't tell me she needed $40. I said, I don't know. She called this sister, so now she called me. Now I'm calling you. You know how families go, right? So then that brother calls my mother and says, Mom, you need $40? And she said, no. <laughs> and he goes, are you sure? Because I heard you needed $40. No, I don't need $40. Okay. So then... My brother calls me back and says, she doesn't need $40. I said, okay. I you know, did my duty, called, made sure it was done. And about half an hour later, my sister calls me and she said, why did you call your brother you know, to tell him to go give? And I said, because you, she needed $40. And then my mother had called her and she said, I don't want anybody's $40. I want your $40. <laughs> I'm like, ugh. Family. What are you going to do? I mean, I thought that was hilarious. I said, okay, then that's your $40. You give her $40. She goes, well, lend me $40. I go, I'm not going to lend you $40. It, it, family. That's all I can say. But after, you, after the Lord asks you, will you trust him? And after he asks you, will you be a part of this family? Then he's asking you, will you get involved? Because that's what happens when you're family. You can't just sit back and just say, I'm a part of this family and not get involved. Why is church still a lonely place for some people? It's a lonely place because this is sometimes where we come in and we put on a mask. We're driving up and we put on the mask. I got it all together. And I'm going to tell everybody, I got it all together. How are you doing? Great. Wonderful. Awesome. Stupendous. Fantastic. I don't have a care in the world. But when you walk out of here and you go in your car, that whole feeling of loneliness begins to fill you up again. I want you to know something about this church, what I want this church to be known as. I want this church to be known as a hospital, a hospital, a Holy Ghost hospital, a place when you're sick spiritually, when you're sick emotionally, when you're sick relationally, that you come and get God's healing. It, this is the hospital. This is where you come to get healed. This is where you come to get well. 
So many people stay away from the hospital and then they're wondering why they're sick. Because you got to come into the hospital. You got to let the Holy Spirit do the healing in your life. If you fail, and we're all going to fail, but if you fail, when you walk into this church, I don't want you to feel like you're going to be kicked to the curb. I don't want you to feel like what you've done is too big to be forgiven. Because most of us fail more than we succeed. That's why we need to remember that this church is not full of finished products. We're unfinished. Starting with me, all the way down to the pastoral team, all the way down to the leadership, all the way down to you. If this is your first day, you're an unfinished product. And being unfinished means that sometimes we don't always say the right things or do the right things. But this is a hospital right here for the sick. How do believers solve their loneliness problem? How are we supposed to solve our loneliness problem? By being real. By saying, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling in my single life. I'm struggling in my temptations. I'm struggling with my kids. I'm struggling in relationships. I'm struggling in my mind. I can't deal with this. When Jesus said that he knows exactly what we went through, he knows exactly what we've gone through and what you're going through right now. There are so many things that you probably are thinking, well, you know what? She's never even been in a bar. She's never done a whole lot of things. How do I relate? Well, you know what? The attacks that the enemy has thrown at me, he may not even have thrown at you. You may not know what it feels like to be so depressed that you don't want to get out of bed. You may not know what it feels like to be driving in a car and the enemy lie to you and tell you, just go over the bridge. Just turn over real quick. Just go down that embankment. It doesn't matter. Your issues are your issues. My issues are my issues. But this is still a hospital for sick people. So many of us are afraid to be real and say, come over here. Help me. Pray me through this. My wife and I aren't talking. My kid ran away again. I'm struggling with some people at work. I don't have the passion to pray. I don't want to read. I don't even want to come to church. But we don't say those things. We just try to isolate ourselves and just keep everybody away. But that's the reality. The reality is we're a church and a hospital that tries to heal people. We're not going to put the smile on and say we got it all together. I want to be able to say we're real. Our journey groups are going to be a place where true fellowship is going to happen, where people don't have to be fake, where you can take the mask off where you can be yourself and you can be loved for yourself. And if you come in all messed up, guess what? We're still going to love you. If you come in all messed up because you just made a mistake, we're still going to love you. It may be your week that week, but it may be somebody else's week the next week. And it may be somebody else's week the next week. Some of you may be doing really good today. Today, man, you're flying high. Last week, you were in the pit. Next week, you may be doing good. Today, you may be in the pit, but next Sunday, man, you're going to be awesome. 
We go through ups and we go through downs. But this is the place to come and get a healing. No one is going to go up to you and say, I know what your problem is. I've got you all figured out. Because if we do that, then that's going to destroy a relationship. What has to happen is that you have to be the one to come out and say, I need help. You have to be the one to come out and say, I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling. You have to be the one because if, you're don't, if you don't say that, if you don't admit that you have a problem, then you're going to keep this isolation all around you. The Bible says, if, are any of you sick? In, John, in James 5, it says, are any of you sick? You call the elders. You call the leaders. You call the pastors. Your responsibility. You have to take responsibility for your sickness. If you got a cold, what are you going to do? Just lay there and just let it develop into pneumonia? No, you got to take some responsibility if you're an adult. If you're a kid, then it's the parent's responsibility. But if you're an adult, you got to go and take uh, whatever you got to take to get rid of your cold. You got to eat right. You can't be eating junk food if you're sick. You got to take care of yourself. If you're sick, let somebody know you're sick. Don't just try to hold on to this thing and feel sorry for yourself and, oh, nobody cares about me. Nobody cares. Nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows because you want to keep it all to yourself. You want to just feed your little hurt. There's no release, and there will be no release in your life until you voluntarily say, I need help. I've been unfaithful. I've cheated. I'm struggling with lust. I'm living a lie. Whatever it is, you got to be the one to say it. When Jesus confronted the man in the tombs, he went up to him and said, what is your name? What is your name? And you know what he responded? He responded. He didn't say, my name is John. My name is Joe. My name is uh, Paul. He said, my name is Legion. He knew exactly who he was. He was a man that was possessed. He was a man who had demons inside of his life. And he said, my name is Legion. I got a lot of devils inside of me. And that's when he confronted Jesus and he accepted who he really was. He was a man who was being tormented. He was a man who had issues in his life. He was a man who needed help. He didn't say, I'm Paul, leave me alone. He said, I'm Legion. I need help. And because he, reality hit, Jesus was able to heal his life. And he said, go home and tell your family. He went, left there in his right mind. But he accepted and he revealed who he was. He didn't barge into his life. He didn't say, come over here. Come over here right now. You, you're a messed up person. Get over here. You're all, what's wrong with you? You didn't have no clothes on. The man was a demoniac. He, he was running around in the cemetery with no clothes. He didn't yell at him. He didn't say, what's wrong with you? He didn't say, what are you thinking of? He said, what's your name? What's your name? If Jesus were to come up to you today and he would ask you, what's your name? What would your name be? Would it be hurt? Would it be bitterness? Would it be anger? Would it be embarrassment? Would it be cheater? Would it be liar? Or would you just say, oh, my name is Joe? 
oh, my name is Susie. And he says, that's not the name I want to know. What are you going to admit to in your life? What are you gonna, when are you going to take off the mask and just be real? See, God is relational. He communicates to us through relationship. And it's called community. And in community, you get to see people who they really are. All people in desperate need of God's grace. In community, you see God for who he really is. And we see him through each other. We were created for relationship. We can try to get away from it as much as we want to, but we were created for relationship. And this journey of life, and, you know, I call my life a journey because I don't know where God's, where this journey is taking me. Some days I have great days and some days are not so great days, but it's a journey. And this journey of life is pretty difficult sometimes, and sometimes it's painful. We all have discouragements. We all have temptations. We all have doubts. We all have weaknesses. We all have times of rejection. Those are all the things that we just experienced. That's just life. But that's why God gave us a family. Turn around to somebody and say, you're my family. Some of you are turning around to somebody you don't even know, and you're saying, you're my family. But I'm going to tell you something. This is the family that we got. This is it. This is a crucial source of strength and guidance we are to receive from each other. Romans 12, 9 and 10 says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That's what the Bible says. Don't pretend. Don't say God bless you when you really don't mean God bless you. You're really meaning like, I hope God doesn't bless you. <laughs> or you give the fish handshake. Do you know what the fish handshake is? Instead of a firm handshake, you give them a fish. And you're just hoping God will not bless them because you don't want to shake their hand. See, this scripture where it says, don't just pretend to love others, it's not talking about an attitude. It's talking about a behavior. It's talking about a behavior. Genuine affection and devotion has to do with a commitment and a loyalty. And I really believe that God is less concerned with how we feel about each other, and he's more concerned with how we're living out our life before him. It doesn't matter how you care about each other. I don't care if that person hurt you. I don't care if that person let you down. How are you acting toward them? We can get all caught up in how we feel about each other. Well, she doesn't like me. Well, he doesn't even shake my hand. Well, he just walked right past me. Well, I didn't get invited here. She didn't let me know. And we're into all this little petty stuff. Petty stuff. And souls are dying. And we're over here. She didn't even shake my hand. And souls are dying. And we're all caught up in our own little world. The Bible says we are to be devoted to each other. Do you know what it means to be devoted to something? Devotion has nothing to do with feelings. Do you know that? Because when you get married, if you're... If you're you're going to be married with feelings. You're not going to last too long. You may last one day. 
Maybe two if you're really good. Three if you're like absolutely great, but that's it. Because your feelings are going to go up and down. You're not going to be in love 365 days out of the year. If you think you are and if you got into your marriage and you thought you were, oh my gosh, what an eye-opener you received. Because you probably woke up one day, you know, the day you got married, you were madly in love. And then three days later, you're like, oh, I married her? I married him? Thank God that marriage has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with commitment. It has to do with devotion. You're stuck. You got that ring on your finger, you're done. You're done. Don't be checking out anybody else. You're done. Don't be looking and booking. You're done. Don't be going out to lunch or having any phone calls or emailing or getting in the chat rooms. You're done. You're done. Stay devoted to the person that you committed your life to. We can't. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand. We're not going to be able to experience true fellowship when we're in isolation. And it's so easy to tell the people who are isolated. They're the ones who come late and leave early. You're isolated. You don't want to get in contact with anybody because what if they ask me how I'm doing? I'll just have to say, fine, when you know you're not. You have to run out to the car to put on your mask or take it off because you're tired already of You've been doing this for two hours now, and you're tired. Your face is stuck. Then you got to take off the mask so you can just be your old grumpy, grouchy self. Paul Tournier, the, the theologian that I referred to earlier, he did some studies, and he's from Switzerland. And one of the studies that he did He called it the study of the unblessed child. And it had nothing to do with the gifts of a child or the ability of a child or the opportunities in life that a child has. It didn't even have to do with any material possessions that a child owned. But what it had to do with was children not being blessed. Children who did not feel that they got approved by his or her parents. Somehow, they felt that they never measured up, that they never really pleased their parents. Now, I was reading about this young boy named Andrew, who was one of the most talented musicians that they had discovered in a long, long time. He could play so many instruments. He could write music. He could teach others about music. But his parents were really, really strong. And he was raised under a lot of perfectionism. And the expectations that were put on him were so extreme that Andrew's father died. And 20 years later, he's still working to try to please his father. He's still trying to do things to prove to himself, I think my dad would have liked this. I think my dad would have been proud of me. I think my dad would give me his approval now. There was another young girl that I read about, and her name was Susie. And she grew up in the middle of nine children. 
I don't have a Susie in my family, okay? There were four above her and four below her. And her sisters were girly girls. You know what a girly girl is? They like to dress up. They're girly girls. But this Susie wasn't a girly girl. She liked to hang out with the guys. She liked to play football. She liked to be outside all the time. She was a tomboy. And while the other girls her age were dressing up and flirting with the boys, she was like, I'm not going to do that. And her mother would put her down and call her names. And her mother was constantly nagging her about her weight and her behavior. And there was a, a split in their relationship. And then Susie got married. And Susie had children of her own. And throughout time, she began to see herself treating her own children and talking to her own children in the way that she had been spoken to. And what's really sad is that there are families. And there are some of you here who never give blessings out. They, they live with a marriage partner and never feel that they've been approved by them. They go through their entire school year and they never feel that a teacher liked them or even their friends liked them. Everyone wants and needs a blessing. And the Old Testament story of Jacob and Esau tells us how important a blessing is. Because when Isaac was old, he wanted to give a blessing, a final blessing to his oldest son. But you all know the story how Jacob connived with his mother and he stole the blessing that was intended for his older brother. And when Esau heard that his father had given the blessing to his younger brother, what he did, the Bible says, is that he cried out with a loud and bitter cry, bless me, bless me too, my father, bless me. Haven't you saved a blessing for me? Do you only have one blessing, my father? And Esau was weeping and he was crying. And there's no way that I could put enough grief in my words this morning to properly communicate how Esau must have felt when he said those words, bless me too, my father. And I believe that that's a cry of many in this room today. There's a child inside of every single one of us that never got a blessing, that never received that approval. There's a cry inside of every spouse to his or her mate. There's a cry of Susie's. There's a cry of Andrew's. There's a cry of coworkers where you work that need to have approval. It might even be your cry here this morning. I want to remind you that the cries are not unheard. God is hearing your cry. It says that he records every tear that we cry in our own bottle. Nothing that you experience in your life will ever be overlooked. God knows exactly where you're at. And I believe that the journey groups are going to provide some things. They're going to provide those blessings for your life. They're going to provide for you what you did not get, a blessing that is felt, a blessing that will bring touch into your life. That's why we go around and we do a lot of hugs and we do a lot of high fives because touch is so important. I don't know how many of you didn't grow up with touch, but if you didn't grow up with touch, you need to have it. You need to be around people who are going to give it to you. 
You need to be around people who are going to give you a hug. And there was a little girl who was frightened one night during a thunderstorm. And there was a big old huge clap of thunder and she jumped from her bed and she ran all the way down to her, her parents' room and she jumped right in the middle of her parents. And her father woke up and he told her, you don't have to worry. God is going to take care of you. The Lord is going to protect you. And she just got closer to her daddy and she said, I know that daddy, but right now I need some skin. <laughs> See, this little girl didn't doubt that God was going to take care of her. But what she wanted to know is that there was going to be some love with skin on it. A special gift of love and comfort. And I know when I was growing up, I always desperately wanted to please my dad. It was important to me. My dad always made me feel special. He was patient with me. He taught me about football, taught me about all the, the penalties. You know how difficult that can be when there's so many different penalties. He taught me about baseball. 